A little more than half a century later, under radically different circumstances, General Motors Chief Executive Officer Rick Wagoner appeared again before Congress. Toyota Motor, which had been derided as a pathetic maker of Toyo pets when it first entered the U.S. market four years after Wilson's testimony, had pulled neck and neck with GM as the world's largest automaker and appeared poised to dethrone GM. The American economy was in crisis as it started to dig itself out from under a mountain of debt. GM's sales of sport utility vehicles and pickup trucks, the segments of the market where it had made most of its profit, were in deep trouble. After spiking above $4 a gallon, gasoline was still selling for more than $2, despite wild swings in the price of oil. Even though the price of gasoline had gone down, consumers appeared to have concluded that it would soon go back up. The indicators were undeniably grim. GM's stock hit an all-time low of around $3 a share, down from recent highs above $40. The company's share of the U.S. vehicle market, at 22.4%, was down from almost 51% at the height of the company's power in 1962. 19,000 unionized workers were taking buyouts, and the company was closing factories that made larger vehicles, while rapidly gearing up production of newer, more fuel-efficient models. The company was burning cash from its reserves every month, and capital markets were reluctant to lend it fresh money. Newspapers hammered away at GM, assuming that it would have to either merge with the troubled Chrysler or declare Chapter 11 bankruptcy. In the New York Times, Bill Vlasic wrote, Mr. Wagoner, 55, faces the prospect of cutting a deal for Chrysler or perhaps another automaker, or possibly going down in history as the executive who presided over GM's demise. An overstatement, but shocking nonetheless. So, when Wagoner went to the U.S. Senate Banking Committee in November 2008 to argue for a federal bridge loan of $25 billion for the Big Three, the contrast with Charlie Wilson's appearance could not have been starker. Rather than commanding a position of strength, Wagoner was on the defensive, warning that the government needed to take action to save the U.S. economy from a catastrophic collapse. If GM did not receive the loans it was requesting, what the company's critics called a bailout, the societal costs would be catastrophic, Wagoner warned. Three million jobs lost within the first year, U.S. personal income reduced by $150 billion, and a government tax loss of more than $156 billion over three years, not to mention the broader blow to consumer and business confidence. Wagoner's testimony was met with hostility from senators such as Richard C. Shelby, a Republican from Alabama. With Congress deadlocked on the issue, the Bush administration, in its final days, threw a temporary lifeline to GM in the form of loan guarantees. But a lasting solution would be possible only after the inauguration of President-elect Barack Obama, the former Illinois senator, who was more sympathetic to the manufacturing sector. In what became the first real test of his leadership, even before he was sworn in, Obama called the U.S. auto industry the backbone of the nation's economy. Some sort of federal help was in the offing. But in stark contrast with 1953, the prevailing conviction among many American opinion leaders, including the senators who grilled Wagoner and the heads of Ford, Chrysler, and the United Auto Workers, was that GM doesn't matter at all. Because GM had lost so much ground to Toyota and other Japanese manufacturers, 
decision-makers in New York and Washington seemed to have concluded that a Toyota job in Texas was the same as a GM job in Michigan. Many average Americans also seemed to have turned against GM, judging not only from their purchasing patterns, but also from the burst of letters from readers in major business publications. While the GM corporate types were hauling their truckloads full of salary, stock options, and bonuses to their banks, realtors, and brokers year after year, Japan's automakers were quietly feeling our nation's pulse, watching world events unfold, adjusting their corporate strategies and building our automotive future, wrote Mark Nichols of Manitowoc, Wisconsin, to the Wall Street Journal in early 2008. What does GM stand for? Visionless, pathetic leadership, master blame gamers, out of touch with American consumers, laggards, I could go on. Or as a blogger, William Banzai 7 put it on Business Week Online in June 2008, this company is a giant quagmire of mismanagement, intractability, intellectual laziness, and competitive stupidity. I don't know anyone who would buy one of their gas guzzlers, and I predict that after a long, drawn-out process of denial, this hulk will be extinct. Labor, if you want to build cars, tell your members to go work for Toyota.